0: I feel like I am here in a holy moment, that uh, just to hear the church be the church is a beautiful, beautiful thing, and uh, that's all I've been hearing today, is the church being the church, and uh, from the point of the the first sermon, or the sermon this morning, that uh, when when, uh, when Greg you lift and you lift up your hands. How many people have ever been hurt here? And uh, and just the way he dealt with that. This is, a, this is a real place with real people who have been impacted, transformed by the gospel. We're all in different points, we're not competing with each other. We are just growing together as the body of Christ. And so I found it a great privilege to be here and uh I do praise God for this church and feel a deep affection um, because it is uh, loving the gospel, but also because it has loved my daughter, Hannah, and uh, my son-in-law, Joe, and my grandchildren, Karsten and Sam and Rosie so well. Um, they got launched away from us and uh, Went to McAllen, Texas, and then came back up to here, and and they got plugged into a church that has felt like home to them for these five years. It is precious beyond words to a, a father's heart. And so, for that reason alone, I just want to um, praise God and thank you. But also, I think thank God for the uh, gospel impact that is being affected through this church and. Uh, that I could hear these testimonies this morning, this evening. It just, it just builds my faith that God is at work, His gospel is real, and uh, the word of God is powerful and worthy of being preached in an expository way. I can hear that word come up. I'm not going to preach an expository sermon tonight. Um, I'm just going to briefly um, just share some things with you. I want to... I want to focus on a promise from God's word, and I want to focus on a warning of God's word, and I want to close with an admonition of God's word. So the glorious promise first. All God's promises are glorious. And, but the glorious promise that I want to focus on, that I hope will help encourage you to press on in the victory of Christ. It's no small thing. That you have been about this now for ten years. That's a long time. It's a decade. And uh, but I want to encourage you to press on in Christ's victory. And so the glorious promise is from Matthew 16, 18. you We've all heard it. I'm just going to focus on one little phrase. This where Jesus, you know that situation. Jesus says, "Who do you say who people say that I am?" And uh, and Peter gives his answer, and and, uh, and then Jesus says to him, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church. Just think of that. I, I, Jesus himself, I will build my church. Stop, that's a promise. It's a promise. I will build my church. I think of Jesus as a carpenter, he was a builder. And I believe that's kind of cool that he's now building the church. That gives a false impression because the church isn't a building, a physical building, a structure. It is the people of God. Jesus says, I will build my church means that he is going to transform this world. through calling out this world, people for himself. And his promise is, I will do it. I will. And he's been doing it since the beginning. And he is continuing on. And uh, what it's going to look like in the end, sometimes it's good to kind of look far out into the future and say, where's all this heading? And where it's heading is told us in Revelation chapter 7, 9 to 10. And they said, who's worthy to open the scrolls of this book? And no one was, was worthy except for Jesus. And so after this, I looked. And John says, behold, I, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robe, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the end. Jesus is going is building his church until his people are gathered from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Which means that Jesus is breaking into every culture. And he is calling people out of his fallen culture where we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. As Ephesians has been so clear about. He's calling them out, he's giving them new birth, he's making them into a family. A global family with local expressions of that family all around the world. And you are one of those local expressions. And that is beautiful thing. You are a living testimony that this is what Jesus is about in the world. That he is building his church right here in Providence Bible Fellowship, as well as many other churches. But he is building it. Right here, and you are a part of it. And your testimony is evidence that He's at work in a powerful, powerful way.
1: The reason we know
0: this is going to happen, that there is going to be this global community of people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, so Revelation 7 9 is because of Revelation 5 9, a couple chapters earlier, where Jesus says, they sang a new. Or John says they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll, the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. They shall reign you. So you see how everything brings us back to the cross. It is the cross of Jesus Christ that has purchased for himself a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And so that's the big picture of what he's about. He is on a global mission. And we must keep that huge picture in mind, but also realize. And he's doing it through his local expressions of the body of Christ, and uh, that's what Providence of Fellowship is. It is living testimony that Jesus is building His church, and it is a precious thing purchased by His blood, and therefore it's worthy of you pulling your life into this place in light of the global church. Jesus Christ. Question is, how does he build? It? How does Jesus build? It? And Ephesians chapter 4, 15 and 16, which some of you probably came right when Pastor Greg was preaching on that, I came in Ephesians 4. Bethlehem, we talked about uh, um, Pastor John Piper preached for nine years on the book of Romans. And so a whole generation of people came during Romans. When did you come to Romans 2? Romans 6, Romans 14, Romans 1. And that's how we define our church for a head. It's a beautiful thing. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. It says, speaking the truth in love. This is a question, how does Jesus build? How is he building his church? Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ. From whom the whole body join and held together at every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. of love. Now, I loved Greg Bergwell, Bergwell before tonight, but I love him even more when I heard that you he taught them sentence diagramming. And, and Colossians, I mean, that just makes my heart sing. And, and I don't know, all you kids in here, I don't know if you, you did sentence diagram, you know, and uh, I don't know how many adults actually did it. You know, you went to an elementary grammar school. You should have done it. And I went to a wonderful little Catholic school, and they actually taught grammar back in those days. And uh, they taught us how to diagram sentences. And I thought it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever done because... It's just so obvious. We don't need a diagram of a sentence. We just speak English and we do fine. But when I went to Bethel College as a brand new Christian in uh, 1977 or 1973, uh, I met John Piper a year later. First, he came to Bethel College. And uh, he just wanted to rivet our mind's attention and our heart's affection on the Word of God. One of the ways he did that was he stressed sentence diagram. And so that's what I have taught for um, 37, 38 years at Bethlehem Baptist Church. I teach sentence diagram along with some other things. But uh, just listen to this sentence. I want you to try to figure out what is the, the main um, subject and the main verb of this sentence I just read to you. Speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is head into Christ. And that's this next part. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up above. I ask my students okay, what is the subject and what is the verb in the sentence? Listen again, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up enough. What's the subject? I won't press you too hard, but if you had it before you, you'd be able to tell me. But it just struck me, you know, that uh, I think the subject is from whom the whole body, Body is a subject, and there's these participles joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Then there's a temporal pause. When each part is working properly, and then here's the main verb makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the subject is the whole body, the verb is makes the body grow. I thought, the whole body makes the body grow. The whole body makes the body grow. And there's these modifying clauses. The whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is supplied. When each part is working properly, That's amazing. That means there is a significant role to play for every person in this room, every person that makes up Providence Bible Fellowship, each part has its, each member has its part to play. And a lot of times we don't even know exactly what it is, but as you hear from these testimonies, you're doing it. Is that, that Sunday school teacher at that moment, or, or that person coming over to clean the house, or that person that uh, helped here or there or whatever. The That's part of what has helped build the body of Christ. And uh, so Jesus, I thought he said, Jesus said, I will build my church. And that word says the whole body ma- makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's the building word, same word. And uh, then you look at the sentence a little bit more carefully. And it says, speaking the truth of love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And then there's this little prepositional phrase, from whom the whole body makes the body grow. From Christ. So Christ is the builder of the church. He doesn't do it so that we are passive, just kind of watching it happen and complaining when it doesn't. That the way Christ um, makes the body grow is by enabling, and empowering each part to do its special place, play its special place. And so, I just want to encourage you that that's what He's doing. And uh, these ten years didn't just happen. These ten years happened because, from Christ, the whole body is bringing about. Growth of the body, building itself up through love. And so I just want to give praise to God for you that I've heard all these testimonies of what God has put in your hearts to do. By the grace of God, I am what I am. You heard that this morning. Yet I, I worked harder than all the others. Yet not I, but the grace of God worked in me. This divine, human, amazing thing is that, yes, I worked harder. I can tell you as a body are working hard to build up this church. And yet it's not you, it's the grace of God in you. So then you become an evidence that there's something supernatural happening. And there's nothing more exciting in this, this mundane world that we live, in, but there's something supernatural happening before our eyes. And so may God give us eyes to see it even the most mundane parts of life in the mind.
1: Things that you think are
0: insignificant are not insignificant. They're in Christ. And so I just want to encourage you that yes, here's the promise. Jesus says, I will build my church. The share of the victory and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It is a sure victory way he's doing it is by empowering each of you. So that's the promise, that you are on the winning team. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, um, there was a miracle in Minneapolis a while ago. Um, the miracle in Minneapolis was the not the last game like he's played, but the game before. <laughs> where at the very last second, this pass was thrown in the air, and our guy caught it with no time, and he somehow stayed and balanced and all the way. And that was amazing. And uh, I can't even remember why I'm calling you that right now, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was going to illustrate some point, but I just wanted to say it. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember why I said, so. Winning team. Winning. Yes, yes. The gear, the victory. that You are on the winning team. So, if my in anything that's 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 helped me in my life is to know that I cannot put my faith in lightness I can't put my faith in anything. If you're pinning your hopes for your future happiness on any earthly thing, you're going to be disappointed. But instead, by being part of the church of Jesus Christ, you are on the winning team no matter how much suffering is yours in the future. There's no fairy tale here. Jesus says, he says, I promise each day has enough trouble so its that's a promise from Jesus. Jesus says, in the world, you will have tribulation. Paul says, through many trials and tribulations, you must inherit up. So The temptation is, when those trials and those tribulations come against us, we are tempted to think that God is against us. That God is not real and yet that's one of the reasons I am a committed believer in Jesus and in his word because his word is so realistic. it doesn't paint a a fairy tale picture of this life every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before I think that's true in heaven I think in heaven it's going to get sweeter and sweeter Because heaven is going to be an endless discovery of the majesty and magnificence of God. But in this life, there's going to be days of victory and days of defeat, at least of him. And so, let the Bible inform your understanding of suffering, so that when it happens, you don't think that something strange is happening. You don't think that God is all of a sudden out of his throne. He is up And he turns even the hardest things into our conformity to Jesus Christ. So um, don't let that um, be ready. We are guaranteed We are on the winning team. So keep your faith in Christ, your eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's begun a good work in you, and you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. There's no other other place in the world you can hide except for the heart of Christ. Now the warning. Jesus is building his church, and it's a guaranteed victory there's a warning, is that local churches throughout history rise and fall. And and uh, even the apostolic churches, they didn't keep going and going and going, going. Church in Ephesus got wiped out. Isn't that amazing? Local churches sometimes come to an end in this world. And uh, don't let that shake. It's a warning. It says in, Re- in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he is, is uh, talking to the church in Ephesus. He has seven letters in Revelation 1 and 2 and 3. And the first one is the letter to Ephesus. And, uh, and this is what he said to the church in Ephesus. I have this against you after commending them for several things. Because I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. That's a sobering. Jesus gives a warning to local churches, the global church of Jesus Christ, the universal church of Jesus Christ enduring, and nothing up. It is on a journey toward absolute success. The local churches rise and fall over the persecution. And, uh, and so, sometimes they're wiped out because of persecution. God does allow persecution to happen. But more often than not, churches begin to dwindle, and die because something changes in that local church. This love for Jesus that fueled and empowered his church all of a sudden becomes cold or cooler and then cooler. And even in, in this text in Revelation, the works are continuing. He's commending them for their works and even their doctrinal purity is continued. They hate the teaching of the Nicolaitans. I commend you for that. But I have this against you. That you have lost your first love. So this is the, the warning. is, is uh, As you are watching this church grow, and it's so exciting, don't get focused on just the, the doings. Don't get focused on doing church right, or I want you to do it as well as you possibly can. But never lose you focus on the person of Jesus Christ, the glory of Jesus Christ, and give yourself a heart check. Say, is my heart is it is it drawn to Jesus? Is it loving Jesus, or is it becoming cold? And it can even become colder while your doctrine is becoming more precise and head knowledge is rising. Or it can become colder even while you are doing some really good works. I say, that's not the sight of the core. The core is that you trust in Jesus daily, you're fighting of faith. You are you are praying, Lord, help my loved and never grow cold. And if it's growing cold, say, Lord, I'm sorry. Today I just feel like you're dead. Would you revive me? Call your small group, call your friends, and say, help me. I just feel like I'm just coming down. Lord Jesus, help me. Keep my eyes fixed on you. And that's why expositional preaching is so because faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. when we keep our eyes and minds and hearts riveted on the word of God, it's like fuel and fire keeps breaking. That if we let ourselves drift away from the word of God and just do the things and go in a bad direction. And so that's the warning. Um, remember in Acts twenty twenty nine, um, Paul said to the Ephesian church, the Ephesian elders gathered together at the first pastor's conference in Acts chapter 20, He says, I know that after my departure, the fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for Three years I did not see Snyder Date to admonish everyone in times. You see Apostle Paul warning the Ephesian elders and saying, there's going to be a t- There is such a thing as spiritual warfare. It says in Ephesians, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. There is an enemy that hates what this church is. There's an enemy that's listening to these testimonies today and saying, oh, man. And so, realize that. Don't fear him. Don't fear him. But just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Every day. Every minute of every day. I need you, Jesus. I need you. Keep my eyes fixed me not to begin to rely on my own resources. Help me not to up. Begin to rely on principles of church Help me, Lord Jesus, to love you. You be the center of my mind's attention and my heart's affection. Help me every day. So that's a warning. And, uh, here's the admonition. And uh so many places I could go, but this is one that came to my mind. And it's from 1 Corinthians 15, um, towards the end. It's the great resurrection chapter. There um, are people in Corinth that began to doubt the resurrection, or some thought the resurrection already happened in some spiritual way, and uh, future resurrection. And, uh, and so, what Paul does is, um, in the beginning, he says, uh, Jesus rose again, and he appeared to Cephas. He appeared to the apostles, and, uh, and he appeared to five hundred at one time. Most of them are still alive. I love that text. You know, sometimes people just say, well, you "Just you know, Christian faith is just kind of just uh, this fairy tale." But you've got to realize that Corinthians is just a historical document. Not just a historical document. But it is a historical document. It's been written by someone, and, and scholars agree it was written probably in the 50s, 50 A. D. It's about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So you have this document. And Paul has written it to people who are beginning to doubt the resurrection. And he's just pardoning the resurrection see this song, I saw 500 psalms at one time, most of them are still alive. Go check it out. Eyewitnesses to the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so to me, it has been so powerful in my life to realize that what I am, the Christ I am trusting in is not just some ideal literary person, Created by some brilliant author, but he is a real historical figure that lived in real space and time. And he really did die on the cross for our sins, guaranteed in the resurrection the dead. And so we have reason to um, put our tr- all of our trust in him. And uh and God has has, uh, given me the opportunity. I have two daughters that are getting married in the next six months. And uh, I had to earn some money somehow. And so I've become a lift driver and a taxi cab driver. And uh, um, it's been such a blessing to not only find a way to help pay for these weddings, but, but to just to kind of, I've met 1,800 people. The last year and a half in my city, and I just feel like they are like so many are like sheep without a shepherd, leaving the most bizarre things, and yet they're alone about it. So my desire is to do anything I can, these meetings with these people, to somehow point them in the direction of Jesus. God has given many opportunities to share the gospel. And, uh, and so I just urge you to say, people are starving for something solid, for someone solid to put their trust in And uh, apart from Christ, they're just the most bizarre. It's aliens are really um, in control. I met someone lately that said aliens are in control, and they're just waiting for us to get along. And then once we get along, they'll come in and fix everything. But they're waiting for us to get along. Hmm. Interesting. Where did that come from? What is the foundation of that faith? There's no foundation. Ah, we have an awesome foundation for everything. In every way, including historical evidences. So, so that's in First Corinthians, but this is what he says. He says, um, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does a perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death has swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory our Lord Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who rose from the dead, conquered And then there's this wonderful, therefore, in the scripture. Don't ever lose sight the injunctions. I'm sure Pastor Greg has emphasized. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast. This is my admission to you, Paul's admission. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in That's my admonition for these next 10 years and beyond is to abound in the board of your life, advancing this dancing proclamation of the gospel. Because you know that in the boy your labor is not in the and I just want to say um, it's wonderful. Ten years of faithfulness. And uh, I want to encourage you um, to keep your love for Jesus strong. Keep yourself in love, of God, says Virginia. And do that by His grace, His sovereign. And uh, keep looking ahead and keep moving forward and say, We want to be faithful until Jesus returns. And uh, think of Bethlehem. Bethlehem's about to celebrate its 150th anniversary. In a couple of years. Isn't that amazing? 150 years. And, uh, and I look back at its, its beginning, back in 1871 yes, yeah, so a few years after the Civil War, all these Swedish immigrants pouring into Minneapolis. And, uh, um, and they decided to, the Lord was leading them to form into a fellowship. And, uh, and within years, they uh, started out in a, a living room, and then they went into uh, rented quarters. And then they actually built the building then shortly after that, the building the ground. And then God led them to the present building in the corner where we still are, um, 140 some years later. And, uh, and God has enabled that to keep growing gospel ministry, to spend a gospel faithful church for all those decades. And uh, you don't take it man. And so I just encourage you that there's great benefit in being long-term. Have a long-term view of faithfulness the sake community. We have seen things, I close with this, but one of the things that, that that really has transformed us by seeing the value of a long-term faithfulness is um, in 1890 of 20 years after its founding, 19 years after its founding, we sent out a missionary family to Burma, and uh, Olin Minnie Hansen went to work with the Chin people in, in Burma, which is right next to Thailand, and it's now Myanmar. And, uh, and, and this couple um, came to a church that just seven years before had their first baptized believer. In 1883, the first baptized believers, they came in 1890 and they devoted the next 37 years of their lives to um, translate the scriptures, learn their language, committed to writing, and then to translate the scriptures. 1927, they turned the Old and New Testament translated from the Greek and Hebrew and Swedish and English and gave it to the people. They came home and died, not not knowing what the results were. And, uh, and then the church began to grow. 1960s it had really been growing, and then the new regime came in, and the missionaries were all kicked out. for 30 years, Burma was closed up tighter than the ground. And late 1980s, um, some, some of their leaders were allowed to leave the country, and one of them came to Bethlehem. And uh, I met them, Julie and I met them in 1990. And, uh, and he came over to us. I greeted them, thought they were some international students, and they were middle aged. And he said, Where are you from? He said, Myanmar. And the mission pastor that I was, that I didn't know what Myanmar was. He said, Burma. I didn't know what Burma And he says, I've come to tell you this. I've come to tell you that your labor is not in vain. In world. I want you to know that now, and back in 1890, you sent to us Golden Minnie Hansen, Translate the scriptures for us. I want you to know that now there are 600,000 Kachin, 500,000 are professing Christ. And uh, and each one of them has a picture of Ola Hansen on their mantle. And so I said, We wanted to come and visit her mother church. And uh, you just think of that. Just think of things that you're doing now may have effects for decades and even generations and so I just wanted to admonish you just to stay, stay focused on Jesus keep your hearts in the love of God by focusing on his Word. and just living out the gospel for the gifts each individual has a part to play just find out what it is worry about it just be, just be um, Christian your workplaces, and in your neighborhoods, in your schools, and God gonna work. So, thank you so much for letting me be with you, and uh, I just want to pray, bless you. Um, Father, thank you for the privilege it is for me to stand in this local expression of your local church, and to ponder your faithfulness to this group. And women and children, and to hear how you have led them, drawn them to yourself, and empowered them to give practical expression of your goodness, and kindness, and mercy, and you open the doors for them to share the gospel not only with the children here and others here in their workplaces and schools and, and elsewhere. So, Lord, I just thank you. I just pray. Lord, even as we reflect on these last 10 years of your faithfulness, I just pray, Lord, as they look into the next 10 years and as long as you give them breath, I just pray, Lord, that you would keep them fixed on the glory and sufficiency of Jesus and the power of the cross and the resurrection even as they move into Easter time. I just pray that the preciousness of your death and resurrection would just increase Minds and their hearts, and lead them as they move forward and for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, may they press on now in the victory of Christ. In His name, I we pray. Well, Brother Tom, thank you so much for uh, faithfully bringing the word to us. Can we celebrate our tenth. <laughs>